Well, I'm just going to let you know um, I'm a mess at this point because we've been singing about Jesus with these students all week. And if, if, if I could, I would, I would want everyone to know how great he is. Words will fail, but the Spirit will prevail. And so, if you would, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, and you're not going to get a weepy sermon the whole time, I guarantee you. It's going to get better, okay? All right, from here, it's only up. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and I want to give you the context of what's going on here. Um, we got, uh, we've, we've been doing this disciple now. Our theme has been imitator. To imitate somebody means to take or follow as a model or a copy, Okay? Um, the best way I can teach you to do imitator is by, I need some participation this morning. Are you, are you willing to help me out? Four of you are, and that's fantastic with me. All right, so here's what we're going to do. You can stay seated, all right? But I need you to play the game with me, Simon Says. You ever done Simon Says? You're like, I've never heard of that before, okay? You need to, you need to elementary school, you got it. So I'm going to tell you to do something. And if I say Simon Says, then you do it. If I don't say Simon Says, then you don't do it, Okay? You familiar with the rules? Okay. All right. You will, you're going to participate, right? All right, perfect. All right. Simon says raise your right hand. Simon says put your right hand down. Simon says raise your left hand. Simon says put your left hand down. Simon says raise your right leg. Simon says put your right leg down. Nod your head. Oh, got me. Okay, all right. Right hand up. Oh, okay. Simon says put your left hand up. Simon says wave. Hey, it's good to see you. You can put that down. So here's the deal. Imitation... It means to follow the lead of what you've seen, to copy or to model. And the, the passage that Jaden read this morning, which is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So we should imitate God as his beloved children in verse 2, and walk in love, live a life of love as Christ loved us. And gave himself on the cross for us, a fragrant offering to God and a sacrifice to God. And so that is this idea we've been working on is teaching students to know what it means to be an imitator of Jesus, of God in Christ. Now, that's a big ticket. Before we get there, I want to kind of walk. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk down the aisle of why we should be an imitator, if it's possible. Then I want to give you the purpose. So I'm going to give you... Is it possible to be an imitator? And the second is the purpose, which I guess I may answer my question. It is possible, and it's only possible through Jesus. But I'm going to walk you through the scriptures real quick, okay? You don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. You keep your Bible in Matthew chapter, you keep your finger in your Bible or on your app, whatever you got, on Matthew chapter 9, because we're going to take a brief walk to see this truth, that we are created, like, like we were made to imitate God, and Jesus makes that possible. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, it, we were created to imitate God, and Jesus makes that possible. I want to show you we were created for that. You go back to the book of Genesis, the first sentence in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You've probably heard that before, even if you don't have much of a church or a Bible background, you've probably heard that before. God made everything. He spoke, and it was. And then he, he got the days of creation, and then, in, and this will be on the screen, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says this, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God made us to be imitators of him. He made us in his image for a purpose. This is a huge thing. We were created to be with God. We were created to follow God. We were created to imitate God. And when that image is marred and we're not living for that, we are out of sorts. And so here's the problem. That's Genesis chapter 1. God created everything, and he said as a four-letter word, a good four-letter word, which is good. The whole world, he declared it, is good. Then Genesis chapter 3 comes. And we, the one rule God gives mankind, we violate. We're not supposed to eat of the, of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. We believe the lie that God is holding out on us good things, and we sin. And from that point on, our image, our, our imitation of God becomes impossible because we now have a sin nature, and we're born dead in sin, and it's a big problem. But I told you, we were created to imitate God, We've been, it's been frustrated and made impossible by sin. But I want you to go to John chapter 1. You can actually, it'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But John chapter 1, verse 1. Note how similar this is to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. How does the, how does the Bible start? In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word here is a way to talk about Jesus. See, do you remember that whole, let us make God in our image? We saw in Genesis, that's going looking back to the fact that God has always existed, one God eternally in three persons. If you don't understand that completely, welcome to the club, because that is, that is the mystery of the Godhead. It's, it's just unbelievable when you get in to look at it. So Jesus was, was God, and he was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so what you got here in Genesis, where the world was perfect, then sin came, there's a restart when Jesus shows up. He brings redemption, and he's restarting creation. The beginning of a renewed creation comes when that little baby who was the God-man took his first breath. That was the beginning of the new. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you jump down to John 1, 14, which we're going to have on the screen, it says this, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh. That means he became a human and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want you to get this. When we were in the garden in, in humanity, when humanity was in the garden, we could see God. And we could imitate God. Then sin came and everything was fractured and death reigned. Then this new heaven and new earth is coming, at least is being inaugurated. This new restoration of all that purpose of us being like God comes back when the word comes. Flesh. And what we see happening is that all that was broken, even us not being able to see God, if you could even go back and look at the stories in the Old Testament, nobody can look on God directly. Even Moses, when he was up on the mountain with God, God said, I can't show you who I am. 
Because the white-hot holiness and righteousness of God can't be looked, on, looked upon by sinful man. The psalmist would say it. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who could stand in, in the holy place? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart can stand before God. If you stood before God in your own righteousness with all your deeds, his holiness would annihilate you. Because that's how amazingly holy God is. That means separate, other, perfect. But... So imitation had become impossible, but then the word, God, comes in the flesh, Jesus, and now we can see the glory of God. What does it say in in that verse? Read it. And the word, he put on flesh and bone, and he dwelt among us. One paraphrase of the Bible says the word became a person, and he moved into our neighborhood. He just got up in our business. I'm going to tell you, this weekend, all of us, we've been up in each other's business, okay? The guys have been at Mitch's house, and we've been, they've been staying up in the upper room above your garage, and there's a ping pong table in there, and that's also where they sleep. I love you guys, but you stink, okay? And I was part of the stink. I recognize that. But you walk up in that room, it's a markedly different smell. Am I right, Mitch? Right, rants, okay? You walk up there, you're like, what? Oh, if we had the air quality tested, we might have had to leave the house, okay? I mean, like, like dee, 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 dee. I mean, like, something's happening, all right? He got up in our, like, and so for us to do ministry with these guys, you know what we had to do? We immersed ourselves <laughs> in the smell of the cocoon. I love you. Don't get me wrong. I do that any day. We embrace the smell. We embrace the stink. But that's what Jesus has done. He has moved in. Why? So we can see the glory, his glory, the glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. So his glory is shown. And then John 1.18 says this, no one has ever seen God. Because all that stuff I talked about, about holiness. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. That was one of our big points this week, is that imitation is what you're called to. You were created to know, worship, and follow God. But your plans have been annihilated, and, or what we were created for has been annihilated, broken, and killed by sin. But God would not leave us there. He sent Jesus to restart so that imitation is possible. We can imitate God, not on our own, but because Jesus makes known God. And he also, he removes the sin barrier because you know why he came? He came to die on a cross and to be raised and to, to be reigning. And so all who believe on him won't perish, but they have everlasting life. They'll be born again and they'll have a new nature, a new life. And so now they once were dead in sin and in Christ you're alive and then you can follow and you have a heartbeat and you can't imitate. Not that you'll do it perfectly, but because of Christ, he gets rid of the barrier of sin and your dead heart and he makes it possible for you to imitate. And then the other part is this, in the example of Christ and in the New Testament scriptures, what we see is this, here is how you imitate God, here's how you imitate God and see God. It's in Jesus. And so that's where I want to take you this morning. I had to do that. I want to show you, it's really clear, that, that, that we are created to imitate God. 
And Jesus makes that possible. And so what we do, instead of trying to come to Jesus to fill that hole of us being God imitators, do you know what we do? We imitate those around us. We imitate what the culture thinks is good, and we follow after things that ultimately give us some satisfaction, but not ultimate satisfaction. What do you think about this? When you, some of you who, some of you guys will be turning 16 soon, and you're thinking about a car, right? A car would be nice. Some of you, Did you get a car when you were 16? Maybe you paid for it? You really wanted that car, but most of you probably had a jacked-up hoopty, okay? You know what I'm saying? It was like, like, it cranked without the key, okay? Or, I mean, it was, and, but you were loving that thing. You were like, you were driving around, you pull up, and you're like, you're right, you got, you got your Datsun or whatever, you know? It was like, it wasn't even Nissan yet or Toyota or whatever. It was like, hey, guys, you know? And you got, or you got your, I got my Oldsmobile and my grandma, I almost ended up with this Oldsmobile that was like uh, 12 foot long. You couldn't turn, you had to turn it on a dollar. You know, you had to do like a right angle turn. Like, ooh, okay, I mean, it was, it's like it, has, it was like two sofas bolted down with a wooden handle. But when you got that, at that point, you're like, oh, yeah. Everybody come look what I got. Four wheels and an engine and woo, going down the road. You would never want that car back now. And so you had to turn to something else. But at the time, that was what met your, that was what was your greatest desire but it was not ultimately fulfilling. And that is how everything we can search for in this world, and we try to define ourselves by, and we try to imitate success, career, money, relationships, sex, any of those things that we put out there are all imitations of the one that should be imitated so that you can know satisfaction in true life. You, if you are following anything other than God in Christ, you are trying to fill a hole with something that can never possibly satisfy you. And that's why we needed Jesus to make us right with God and to make us able to follow him again. And so looking at Jesus' life, I want to show you in Matthew chapter, I told you we're going to get there. Matthew chapter 9, where your finger's been for a little bit. Matthew chapter 9, in the one who made God known to us, the God-man, Jesus, There's a situation he's in in Matthew chapter 9 that I want to show you. Here's our goal and aim. Yes, Jesus makes it possible that we can imitate. And here's the goal and aim of our imitation. Here's what we're striving for when we imitate God. And it's seen in these these verses. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease, and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest, it is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And note this, I want you to see three things. First off is this, God our life, the goal and purpose of our imitating God, which what we're created to do, is to ultimately be God-focused. Note this. Look in, in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus has come to make the Father known, to make God, no one's seen God, but Jesus makes him known, okay? Jesus is the God-man who makes him known. And so what Jesus came doing was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, some of you, when you think gospel, you think gospel music, whether that is like black gospel music that's got some soul, or you're thinking of, of, of I guess, Southern gospel music, which got some thump, okay, to it, or whatever you think about that. Or you saying somebody, it, you, you try to say, you use that word gospel to say, like, that's the gospel truth. So you're trying to say, I'm not lying to you. But that word means good news. So when Jesus came, showing us the Father and his heart, he came preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. God's heart here is seen and evident. He is, what glorification is, what to glorify and to focus on God is, is to point other people to him. To let your life be such a way that you are focused on him and you let it shine forth who he is. The idea of glory could be seen in, you ever watch those old, um, old movies that the, like they're in Egypt and it's like the 1915 and stuff like that and they're going like the mummy or something like that and they're they're going into these these crypts and and if you watch some of those movies this is one of the ways that they would get light in places it was they didn't have this was like they had torches and stuff like that but before all that would come about a lot of times they would take mirrors and they would reflect the sun off the mirror into the cave or the the pyramid and it would hit another mirror, and then they would reflect that sunlight off of that mirror, onto this mirror, onto this mirror, onto this mirror, and they would bring light into the places that were dark. That's the idea of glorification. Jesus came to make known God's heart and who God was when he came. Jesus was radically father-focused. Look in John 17, he comes to, do, to glorify his father who is in heaven. That is why Jesus has come, and he's come preaching the good news to everyone. And then it says this, and he was healing every disease and every affliction. And every time somebody was healed, most of the time, people were healed and their disease was gone or the, the demon possession was lifted. Do you know what they would do? Most of the time, they would glorify God. There's a few instances where they didn't, which is a, is a warning to overlook God's blessings. But you look at them. When the, people, when the demon was cast out, the person who had that affliction healed, it was showing God's heart. It was glorifying God. It was making him known. And, and that is, a, or a demon would be, and if you go actually, chapter 9 of Matthew has all of these healings in him. And all they were to do was to show and magnify God. And so here's the deal. The reason you're supposed to imitate God is not just so you could be an imitator. Uh, and so, you know, you might be a better person. That's not it. It's to make much of God. You exist. Students, you exist for the glory of God and to make him known. Adults, everyone here, you exist for the glory of God and to make him known. And when we try to live for another name or another way, or to have Jesus plus something else, we always end up empty. And this is a call to at least recognize that you are not to exist for your own comfort, your own glory, but for the fathers. 
that's exactly what Jesus did. So if you're an imitator, you are supposed to be God-focused. The second thing is, you are also supposed to be others-focused. Look in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, when Jesus looked out at the people who were afflicted, who had been taught the wrong things by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, when he looked at these people who had been struggling with sin and the broken world, and he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, there is this, this, this idea in Christianity I want to go ahead and get rid of first. Remember, Jesus is making, making God known. There's this idea that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. That is uh, theologically called hogwash, okay? Manure is a better way to put that. Because Jesus has come to make him known, right? And so Jesus is making the Father known. Jesus is one with the Father. He is God in the flesh, right? So he's making, he's making God the Father known. And what does he look at? He look at all the people and is like, all these gross sinners! And they are, and we are. What does he look like? You know what? It makes me so mad. I'm going to run them over with a dump truck of hell. Let's get some brimstone back here. And judgment will come. He's long-suffering and patient, but he's also holy and just. I'm not trying to get rid of that, but I just want you to know this. What's God's reaction here through Christ, seen in Christ? To have compassion. To look and see their hurts and their needs and their problem. And to see them as sheep without a shepherd who are being harassed by wolves. My, out of my out of my place, we have um, um, we're in town, but we're kind of not in town because we got this thicket next to us, and we have deer and skunks and foxes, and sometimes a coyote, and then my neighbor's horses and donkeys get loose, and it's like I don't. I, sometimes I wonder, like, where am I? I mean, like, it's like. I always thought my wife was kind of like a Disney princess, so she walked outside, and like birds come through, oh, da, 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 you know, like a little blue one. Um, and then I'm like, please stop, because these are getting dangerous and stinky and all that. I mean, it's getting, it's getting weird. And you think about a coyote or, or, something like, and, or a wolf coming after a sheep, they don't have much to do except for kind of huddle together, and one of them gets picked off, and they're being harassed. So that's what you got this picture of, this, these people. God looks at these people, and they, they are not living for what they were created for, and they're dead in their sin, and, and they, they, judgment is coming, and it will come from them, but he looks at them, and he has compassion on them, and he wants, in, in Jesus, reflecting the Father's heart too, he looks on them, and he, he sees them as harassed people who need salvation, who need a shepherd, and he is the good shepherd. They need someone to care for their souls, to make them new, to make them right, to make them holy, to make them have a purpose of imitation. That's what we see in this, that picture. And so what, what, what Jesus is calling them to is, and what we see here is God in Christ, what Jesus came to, he said, I've come to serve and not to be served. That's why the Son of Man has come. So Jesus was radically other-focused as well as being God-focused. And he thought about other people. And so the goal and the purpose of your life is to glorify God and to make him known and to focus on God with everything. And also, second fold, is to have a other focus, an other person focus. To see and love 
and serve other people for the glory of God and knowing that that is exactly how Jesus was. He came to serve. Remember up in the upper room with his disciples? And he knew, he knew about stank, okay, because he wandered around the desert with, with 12 dudes all the time in stinky sandals. And they go up to the upper room right before they do Lord's Supper, and they were like, all of them are like, mm, who's going to wash the feet, okay? Because that was a thing. I'm thankful that's not a thing, okay? Now, like, like they'll be like, come, somebody come over to my house. If you come over to my house, I'm not washing your feet. I love you, but that's not happening. If you, get, if you stepped in something, I got a hose out back. I'll help you get the hose, but that's on you, okay? But now, that was culturally part of it. And so when Jesus walked up, you know what he does? He says, I'm going to wash the feet. And so Jesus gets down, and he washes all these guys' feet. He's the servant. He has this heart, and that's what we're supposed to imitate, to be God-focused, to be other-focused. And then look at the last part. Verse 37 and 38 says this, And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. And so the, the imagery shifts from sheep without a shepherd to an agricultural one. And he says, these people who are harassed, there is a harvest for God available of people who will turn from their sins and come to know freedom from sin in Christ and be followers. And the thing is, there's a whole bunch of people out there who, who are ripe to come in to the kingdom and to know what they were created for in Christ there's so many that are ready, ready to harvest to be plucked, but the laborers in the harvest are few. And so he says, pray that the laborers would come. And so here is the thing. Our, the purpose of our imitation is to focus on God, to focus on others like Jesus did, and also the combination of when you focus on God and you glorify him and everything, and you want to focus on others, the combo is this, you to bring others to Jesus. Do you know why? Because when, some, when a sinner turns from their sin, and trusts Christ, God gets all of the glory because the sinner deserves nothing but judgment. But God gives them everything in Christ, makes them a child, makes them an heir, makes them part of the kingdom, makes them have the ability to imitate and go after Jesus. You now have keys. You are welcome in the house. You are part of the family. You got a nameplate at the table. In our, in our Father's house, there's a room for you. That is what glory, and that shows God's goodness to us because we don't deserve it at all. There's nothing we could do, nothing we could earn it. It's all God. And so what we got there in this situation is the combo of glorifying God. That's so we, when, when someone comes to Jesus, it, God gets the glory. But also, it's the best case scenario for any person in the world not to just live for this world, which is short, but to live for the next because that's eternal. And you are doing somebody the greatest favor in the world when you introduce them to Jesus. Because food comes and goes if you give somebody food. Guy rolled up, and you guys don't even know this, but we were, we, were finished, we were getting ready for Disciple Now, and the dude rolls up at the, the church over there, and he's like, he comes up into the church, and it's not our church. We are at Westmore on the First Baptist. And he comes up, he's like, are you at this church? And I was like, well, Physically, I am, but I'm not here. And um, I'm like, I don't, I don't work at this church. And they said, well, man, I need, and he goes in the spiel, and he needed some gas money and some food. And so we did it. We went up, got him some gas. We got him some food. But you know what? You know, the gas will be gone in two weeks. Food will be gone. You need to do those things. 
That's serving others in Jesus' name. That's important. But you know what is the greatest, the greatest thing we can do? Is to do those things in a way to reap the harvest and lead them to Jesus. Because that is the culmination of us wanting to glorify God and love our neighbor is to lead people to Jesus. Now, these are very big ideas. You got that, right? And you come to church, you're like, yeah. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way we can be imitators. And if I'm an imitator, I want to glorify God, love others, and bring people to Jesus, which is the combo of those two things. So, man, those are great ideas. But I'm going to go home in a few minutes, and Monday's coming, and after I watch the Super Bowl, I'm going to get up and go to work, and then I'm out, and how do I live for the glory of God in my office, in my school? Like, how is this going to happen? How do I live for the ultimate glory of God when what I'm doing is wiping a kid's nose, or what I'm doing is sitting in geometry, sitting in algebra, what I'm doing is going to work and helping somebody do this or, you know, surviving my boss or whatever. How do I live for the glory of God in those things? And here's what I, I want to leave you with this verse. Students are really, like, these are grand ideas and you need to know them. And this, the, the, it's the theology, it's the doctrine that helps us move. And this is James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And this is not a call necessarily for you to become a white-hot evangelist ready to preach on a street corner at the drop of a hat. Or somebody that can walk somebody through the entire Bible and show them where Christ is from the Old Testament to the end. This is not a call for you to be able to answer every objection that any person can bring up about the gospel or the Bible. What I am calling you to is this. As the Spirit of God is working on your heart through his word and through our worship time today, it's inevitable that there has been an area of your life that God has shown a light on and has shown you an area of sin, of deficiency. It could be that you don't know him. It could be that you've not followed him in baptism. It could be that you have some indwelling sin in your life that you've never dealt with. It could be that you are just, you are just radically indifferent. It could be that you're so busy that you don't, that you, you let your busyness consume you and you don't have a second to focus, like, you feel like you don't have a second to turn your eyes and attention toward, toward Jesus. And, and all these things are just mounting up and you don't know where to go. Here's what I'm saying. As long as the Lord has turned on the light, as the searchlight and shown you those things, just take a step. One, the next step. Just put your faith in action one way. You probably need to tell somebody that, or you're going to explain it away in a few minutes. You're going to get home, and you're going to be like, yeah, I, 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 I was at church feeling. Now I'm here. I'm just going to put that away. And it could be as simple as this. The next step could be, I'm going to pray every day for five minutes. I'm trying to imitate. Jesus prayed. He always was going off with his father. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do that. Next step could be, you know, I'm going to tell somebody that I don't understand this Jesus thing. Because a lot of times, um, to be honest with you, we're too afraid to say, I don't get it. And that's some spiritual pride. And so some, you may need to find Tom or myself and just go like, hey, I don't get it. You need to like help me explain this. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to ridicule you and throw things at you. No, we'll explain it the best we can. 
It may be that you like you need to understand what baptism is, and you need to be baptized to show. Now you've been following Jesus, you've been a closet Christian, if you will, and you need to show the world that you have fallen him through this ordinance of baptism, which represents that you have died with him and are raised with him. That may be the next step, or the next step is I need to forgive someone. Forgive them. You need to talk to them. There is just if you just start with one step. And you draw near to God, and that is a genuine drawing near. The scriptures are clear. If you take a step, he'll take a step. I told the students this the other night. You can't guarantee that with anybody else in this world. Some of you guys, you're putting your game out there for some ladies. I know one of the reasons you might have come to Disciple Now in the first place was like, there will be ladies, okay? And you were outnumbered greatly. You walk up to a lady, and you're like, I don't know what you got. Okay, what's up? Okay? And she, you take a step towards her. She might take three steps back. Like, no, thank you. Okay? Family. You might want to get closer to your family. You've had some beef before, but you want, to, you want to lay it down. And you might take a step and reach out, and they might be like, no, thank you. You cannot put that as... Not a guarantee with anyone else that if you draw near to them, they'll draw near to you. But the God of the universe, who does not lie, and has inspired this word, spoke through James by the Spirit, and he said, if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Your step, your small step could be, I want to join a small group. Your small, your small step may say, I need somebody to pray for me. I'm in the depths of despair. I'm depressed. My health's failing. Something's going on with me. I need you to pray for me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the person that I put on to be. Help. It might be that you say, I'm going to actually try to understand the Bible, and I will reach out, and I will find tools to help me do that. I, when I roll into church on Sunday, I will sit down, pen in hand, ready to learn and to write, and I won't take it lackadaisically. I'll come in with a heart. If you would just take one step in a, a sincere gesture towards God, he'll draw near. You need the theology of this today, that you were created for more. You're created to be an imitator of God. Sin has made that impossible. Jesus is the only way that you can, you can do that. He frees you from sin and makes it a- available to you, and he makes you able to follow after him. And then the purpose of following after him is to love God, love others, and the combo of that is to bring people to Jesus. And all this high-minded theology, which is important for you to understand, culminates in this. Will you draw near to God and take one step? Because he will draw near to you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to invite Mary to come up, and she's going to play a little bit. And the students, we have some um, that are ready to go, they're going to pass around communion. And as Mary comes up and plays and passes around communion, we're going to, comp- we're going to do some time of meditation and contemplation on what the next step is. And get it real firm in your head and tell somebody today, before you leave this building, what the next step of faith for you is. And if there are questions, if you want to know about coming to Christ, you come and you just, I know it might be, it's going to be people running around and everything. You might need to go somewhere. I'm going to invite you, though, to come grab me or Tom and talk to us about it. Don't wait until this day is over. Don't wait till these moments are over. 
And as the communion is being passed out and these students pass it out to you, we'll take it together in a minute. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you take it with us. And guys, you can go ahead and start. But take these moments to say, what's next? What's the next step? Jesus was betrayed. He was in the upper room with his disciples and he had just washed their stinky feet. And he loved those guys and he was going to the cross for them. 
and in a symbol that was to echo throughout the generations of those who followed Christ, he took bread, when you're broken, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. In like manner, he took the cup after supper and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. And as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, our only hope. This has been a good time. I want you to maybe encourage one of these students. You see him walking by, just say, hey, walk as an imitator. Encourage them, say, hey, man, glad you're here. Thank you for, thank you for taking this time out for D-Now. If you see some of these adults that were involved with D-Now, man, give them your admiration because they got mine, okay? Tell them thanks because we, uh, we filled up some houses. It was a good time. Students, we love you. We love you guys as well. If you would, let's stand. And we're going to dismiss with these words of benediction. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You were created for it. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators. You are dismissed. God bless you.